right, good to see everybody. Love you, Central. You guys are fantastic. We also got a bunch of people joining us from, uh, from online, from all across the country, from online, uh, from all across the country. Georgia, North Carolina, Kentucky, New Jersey, Colorado, Virginia, South Carolina, Illinois, New York, Maine, Florida, Ohio, Tennessee, and California. Let's give it up for all of our online streamers. Great to have you. We also have somebody very special today in the service. Uh, is Josh Hudgens here? Could he stand up for us, please? Where's Josh Hudgens at? Today is Josh Hudgens' birthday. Let's give it up. So make sure, everybody look at him. Make sure that when, you, when, you, when he leaves today that you wish him a happy birthday. And uh, happy birthday, Josh. We love you, buddy. We love you. He loves it when he gets attention like that. So loves it like that. Give it up for your campus pastors, Pastor Stephanie, Pastor Aaron. Aren't they good people? Great people. I've got a great message for you today. Um, this, I haven't spoken this here, and I'm excited to share with you what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Now, I just wanna give a disclaimer um, that this is gonna be a sensitive and mature topic, and so if you do have kids here in the service, our kids' church, which is the best in the world, We'll take your kids now, so if you feel like that maybe they should be not in this room, because I am going to talk about some things that are of a mature level and uh, may uh, you know, have some questions that you may not want to answer right now, then I would jump up. This is your last warning, and uh, take them out, because I will be talking about some pretty interesting stuff today. A few years back, um, Penny and I were at a charity event, and we sat at the table with a lawyer, an attorney here in town who we didn't know him that well, but we knew about him. And he uh, was probably the most popular and the most expensive lawyer in Charlotte, North Carolina. We got to know him very well. And um, he started coming to Freedom House. He really liked Penny and Troy and was interested in Jesus. Had never read the Bible and he started coming on a regular basis. He would show up. This was when we were meeting over at, at the school, the University of Meadows Elementary School. And so here's this big time lawyer. He would drive up and he would tell me as he walked in, he goes, hey, I just wanna let you know the devil's here. And he would sit on the front row. I got to pray with him several times to accept Jesus. There were many times where he answered altar calls with our kids holding their hands, coming forward and giving his life to Jesus. He's since, I believe, gone on to be with the Lord. I mean, he died, but he's, I believe he's in heaven uh, because Freedom House Church had an opportunity to minister to him. One of the interesting stories that happened with us is uh, he invited me to go to a basketball game to see the Hornets play. And he had really good tickets, like right on the floor. It was uh, LeBron James when he was playing for the uh, Cavaliers, and I could reach out and grab LeBron. It was awesome. And so he goes, hey, listen, I have two friends that I want you to, to meet. They're my gay friends. And I'm like, okay. So we went to the game, and you can't really talk in a basketball game, so there wasn't a lot of communication. He goes, hey, Troy, let's go out to eat. Now, I knew what that meant for my friend. That meant two bottles of wine for him. Not for me. I don't drink, but, you know, I'm a Christian, so I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. That was a joke, a little jab there. Um, but he would drink, and, you know, after he'd get through the first bottle or the second bottle and sometimes the third bottle, he would just start opening up in conversation well, you know, he had his two gay friends there, and so he turns to me after about 45 minutes. We had a great meal. He's already threw a bottle and a half, and he goes, all right, preacher man, that's what he called me. All right, preacher man, tell these guys why they're going to hell. 
middle of the restaurant. Okay, put the pastor in the hot seat. And I'm like, uh, okay. Um, well, first of all, it's not my decision. <laughs> who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? Uh, and we had a great conversation. Um, because not that I was prepared for that. He didn't tell me ahead of time. Hey, Troy, I just want to let you know that I'm going to ask you this question. He kind of threw me on the bus at the right moment. But what I realized is that we as believers need to be ready for every conversation. And today, hopefully, I'm going to give you not ammunition to shoot somebody down, but maybe some education to help uh, fill your heart to be able to have really good conversations with people who may be deceived or may have struggled with something in their life. I have, and Penny and I are both still in relationship with those two guys. We are friends. We actually have conversations very often about God and about their relationship. I believe that the Bible right now, 2023, must be put in its rightful place in our lives. It must be a, in a place of authority that it deserves I, sadly, I see a lot of believers who are biblically illiterate. Sadly, because they have put a lot of their demand on the preachers to give them the information that's needed, and the preachers have been weak in their ability to explain the Bible, or with fear, not able to talk about the issues that really need to be dealt with in churches. And so I think it's ignorance. I also think it's fear. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. In other words, put God in a place in your heart that is separate and holy. And always, everybody say always. Come on, say it again. Say always. This means not just on Sundays, but on Mondays when you're at work or when you're standing in line, or when you walk into a department store, or you go to a place, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. You are a hope dealer, folks. Church, you, are, you have been destined by God right now in this moment to deal hope to a lost and hurting world. That's your job. How do you deal it? with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Confused people, you know what they do? Confused people. Deceived people, deceive people. So I want to address two groups of people in the room today. The first group are those of you that are kind of kicking the tires of Christianity. Maybe you, you're lost. You don't know what the future holds. Maybe you're living in sin and you don't know how to get out of it. You're in a cycle. You're far from God. I want to tell you that I'm glad you're here. Maybe church hurt you at some point. I am so proud of you for taking another stab at it and, and going after God another time, regardless of what people have done. Those struggling with sexual sin or maybe 
same-sex attraction or maybe homosexual sin, I want you to remember something. Romans 5 says this. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. Regardless of what your lifestyle looks like, he died for you. So I want you to hear this. Maybe you watching online. You are always welcome at Freedom House Church. The doors will always be open to you no matter what. We will always love you. However, we will challenge you in your sin. And not just homosexual sin or same-sex attraction or any of the. We're gonna challenge you to be better in your life because God has a plan for you. And his desire is to push you forward. And part of our role as the church is to not make you feel comfortable every single week that you walk in. Yeah, there's gonna be times where David's gonna sing and you're gonna go, yes, yes, yes. And then sometimes you're gonna like, oh me. Instead of amen, it's oh me, oh my. Second group of people that I wanna talk to are the believers, which makes up a lot of us, Christians, followers of God, born again, blood-bought. You need to know something. I think there's two very important things that we have to have a good understanding of right now. The first is the great commission, and the second is the greatest command. Let's talk about the greatest commandment. A lawyer came to Jesus one time, and he asked Jesus a very difficult question. He said to Jesus, he said, can you take the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, can you sum up the law in one statement? Can you tell me which one is the most important one? That's a difficult question because you got the 10 commandments, you got over 600 laws that Moses gave to the children of Israel. And so can you tell me, Jesus, which one is the most important? He didn't hesitate, by the way. He knew exactly what to say. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with, you know this, all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, real important. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, have you ever noticed the order of this verse? What is the prioritization of the love that we're supposed to have? Who we're supposed to love first? Let me ask that question again because only about half of you answered. (laughs) Who are you supposed to love first? God. Now, what happens and what has happened is there has been a switch of these two in our culture. Yes, we're supposed to love God, but we also need to love people and put them first. See, God is very clear that when it comes to your love, You are to love him first. You are to prioritize your love for God first. Now, does that mean that you don't love people? Absolutely not. That's not what he's saying. But when it comes to your love and the embodiment of your love and the action of your love, first and foremost, it goes to God. When we put people before God, we create 
what I call an empathetic theology, where empathy becomes our God. And there's nothing wrong with empathy. Empathy is a very important part in your marriage. Guys, you need to join your wife, have empathy. Wives, you need to join your husband. We need to connect with people and, and be able to do that. However, your connection with God comes first. So the commandments of God outweigh prior, are in priority over the approval of people. The moment that we put people's feelings above our love for God, we create a theology that is culture-driven, not biblically driven. Are you following me? And this is the danger of what's happening right now. What's happening is, is all you, this is what, you get challenged for your conviction because your conviction messes up the second half of this command because sometimes people don't think you love them because you have a conviction. And so they get mad at you and go, well, you're not a Christian because you don't love me. When in reality, because of your love for God and because of your conviction, what you say and what you stand for and the, and the biblical priorities that you have in your life actually are a great measure of your love for that person. In other words, I don't want you to go to hell. I, I want you to live a better life. And that's the challenge. That's why, that's why people are yelling at you on you know, Facebook and Instagram. I can't believe you go to Freedom House Church. You know, they're homophobic over there. And, you know, they hate people. And that pastor's wife over there, I mean, good gracious. I mean, look at her hair. <laughs> so I want you to understand, this is what we live by at Freedom House Church. If you, if you call this place your home, here, here's what you can respond to those haters. You Ready? We will be unwavering in our loyalty to God while being unrelenting in our love for people. Let me say it again. We will be unwavering in our love and our loyalty to God while being unrelenting in our loyalty for people. What's the second? The Great Commission. This is our job. This is our role. Our position is God first, God first, our, our position in love is God first. The Great Commission comes in two parts, two steps. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So first and foremost, in our relationship with the world, those that don't know God, those that have no relationship with God, and you come into contact with people like that all the time. Now, they may believe in God, but they have no relationship with him. Okay, a lot of people say, you could go to lunch today and go, how many of y'all believe in God here in the restaurant? And probably 85% in North Carolina are gonna raise their hand and go, I do. But then you start talking about the Bible and they go, I don't know if I believe that. I don't really know if I really trust that. I don't really know about that. When the pressure comes, I don't know if that's gonna, if that's gonna really follow through. I believe in God, he's good. I'm going to heaven because I'm good. But the Bible, that's way too harsh. And I think it needs to be changed. We need a 2023 version, you know. And so, we, but our relationship with the world, those people, is we need to preach the gospel. What's the gospel? The good news that Jesus died for him. He was raised from the dead. And you have a, you have a place in the family of God. But that, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop. We can't just stop there. The second part of this, or the step to it, 
is what the Bible tells, what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 28. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Don't leave verse 20 out now. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. So yes, we're to give them the good news, and yes, we're to teach them to obey all the commands of God, all of Scripture, everything. So what's my job as a pastor? Let me tell you what I'm not interested in. I am not interested in big buildings and having a big church. That's not my desire at all. I am interested in equipping people to live a life that is pleasing to God, period. I could care less. Listen to me, I could care less. When I get to heaven, I know that God's not gonna say, well, Troy, how many campuses did you have? And you say, well, then why do y'all put emphasis on that? Because there's people that come to those campuses. It's important, but that's not what I'm gonna get judged for. I have a stricter judgment, by the way. Did you know that? God's gonna hold me way more accountable because of my responsibility to share the word with you. And so, so I, I don't, I'm not interested in growing a big church. That's not my, my desire. That's that, I have no interest in that at all. Now, when I was younger, you know, I got caught up in some things, and, but God fixed that real quickly in my heart. I'm way, way more interested in equipping you to be all that God's has for you in your life, to equip you, to help you. So some of you are not gonna like this message today. Some of you are always wrestling about it. I had somebody say when I preached it before, why are you even talking about this? You know, it doesn't affect me and my family. You know, and they had teenagers, and I'm like, you are lost, buddy. You have no idea how it's affecting you. You just got your head in the sand, and you don't wanna talk about it with them because you're stinking afraid, you sissy. Come on. I didn't say that out loud. I said it in my heart, you know. I wanted to say that because it was in the lobby of the church, but... I just confessed something to you guys. I shouldn't have done that anyway. (laughs) So the people that are gonna struggle with this message are those of you who are more in love with culture than you are with with God. You're gonna struggle with this message. You're gonna struggle with this message if you're living in sin and you don't wanna change. You've created your own Bible. You've picked and chose the things that you think God says to you, and you wanna live that way for the rest of your life. And I'm gonna tell you something that's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous, it's a very gray line that you're living on. Thirdly, those who put people's approval over God's approval. Listen, we will never lower the standard of God for the approval of people. Never at Freedom House Church will we lower the standard of God for the approval of people or for the approval of the government or for the approval of anybody. Okay, I want you to understand that. And so um, people get upset because a lot of times we're dealing with demons and they think we're talking to people. And this is the challenge that we all struggle with in this spiritual war that we have. Because you're in a war, whether you like it or not. 
Okay, you're, you're in the war. You are in the middle of it. Now, you may not have picked up your gun. You may be in the mess tent, still eating some food. And, or you may be on the other side going, I don't even want to fight. I don't even want to do this. I'm just, gonna, I'm, just not gonna, I'm just gonna ignore it. Maybe it'll go away. But you are in the middle of a fight. You are in the middle of it. We are, as the church, in the middle of a battle. And what we're doing harshly is dealing with demons. We're not dealing harshly with people, but that's the tension that you're gonna have to manage because you're gonna have, you, you can't counsel out a demon. You can't love a demon out of somebody. Oh, come on, demon, would you please leave them? Oh, please, I know you're hurting them. Oh, my Lord. No, that is not how you deal with the devil. It's in the name of Jesus. You rebuke that spirit that's affecting and influencing people's lives. Now, people hear that and go, oh my gosh, you don't love people. You don't love people. No, I love them enough to get them free from the demonic oppression that they're dealing with, whatever it may be. Are you, are you following me? So sadly, the church has made so many mistakes in this, okay? And so I wanna tell you those mistakes and then I'm gonna share six Verses in the Bible that specifically deal with homosexuality. First of all, the, church, the mistake that the church has made is, is put homosexuality as the greatest sin. Homosexuality is not the greatest sin. Okay, pride is. Pride is the greatest sin. Pride is an independence from God. It's a separation from God. It's a, I can do it, I don't need you anymore. Now, now the connection is, you know, they have, we have a whole month now called Pride Month. And why do you think that they call it Pride Month? It's because what, we're, what the enemy is trying to do is separate people from the nature of God. Independence, exactly what happened in the garden. Did God really say that? Did he really make that statement? Because look, you feel that way, and it's okay to feel that way, and God understands that. And it's okay to live that lifestyle because God understands this. I mean, he wrote that. That was years ago that he said that. And so it's okay. So you just, it, you just separate yourself from God. That's why they call it pride month. It's, it's strategic. It's very strategic. But pride is the greatest sin. Proverbs says pride comes before destruction, a fall. James 4 says that God resists the proud. The second thing that the church has made a mistake is they didn't address it. They just don't talk about it. We got churches in Charlotte. They don't talk about that stuff ever. We're not gonna talk about that stuff. It's, it's dividing. It's unloving. You know, we're not gonna talk about that. We're not gonna bring those things up. Pastors right here in Charlotte, they don't wanna talk about it. They just want, you're just gonna be blessed. Everything's gonna be okay. You don't need to fight. Just, it's, it's gonna be good. Read my book, maybe buy three. I need another house. Would you buy another one from me? Would you please come? Matt, you don't even have to come. Just watch me online. It's okay. I don't need to pastor you. I can just CEO you from the online. Did he say that just now? Yes, I did. I just said it right now. And if you're going to a church that's not addressing it, you need to leave right now. Because I'm telling you right now, if his wokeness is coming through this platform, I can tell you off the platform, it's way more woke than it is from the platform. Way more woke. And so if you're watching online today, you need to leave that church, walk away from that pastor, because he is not pastoring you. 
He is not helping you. He's only shielding you from an enemy that's pulling you down. The third mistake that the church is making is they're affirming it. They're affirming homosexuality, transgender. I just read an article yesterday. Andy Stanley in Atlanta, Georgia is having a conference and he invited a gay couple to speak. If that's not affirming, I don't know what is. You got pastors like Michael Todd in Tulsa, Oklahoma that are apologizing for for God's side, saying, I wish if I were God, I would change this. I don't know why he said that. No, 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 no. What are you doing? No, absolutely not. Let me step on you a little bit. Let me get on you. Every time you retweet them, those pastors, every time you get on and go, oh, I like what you said, you are affirming their denial of the Bible. I know I said it. Two times I said it. I even call people's names out. I hope you're watching, Andy. Get it straight. I'll talk to you anytime. I've reached out to you many times. I've reached out to Michael many times. I've reached out to you, Stephen, many times. Talk to me. I'm right here. Let's have lunch. Let's go. Silence is just as bad. It's just as bad. Just as bad. Okay, so interestingly enough, there are six verses in the Bible on homosexuality. So get your Bible, get your notes out. Write these things down. These are really important, okay? Now, these are not weapons that you can go beat somebody up the side of the head with. This is just understanding. You wanna get in your heart an understanding of what the Bible says about it. So there's three in the Old Testament, three in the New Testament. Y'all doing okay? Okay, everybody good so far? All right, only six people left, so we're good. I'm joking, I'm joking. We locked the doors. You can't get out. There is no leaving to, there are chains on the other side. <laughs> the first is found in Genesis chapter 19. This is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if you know the story, you know that Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, left, divide, left from Abraham because they were having some family issues. And so he left and went to Sodom and Gomorrah, a beautiful part of the country, uh, but began to be very wicked and unrighteous in their lifestyle. And so these two angels who had been at Abraham's place to help him understand his future left and God kind of was like, should I tell Abraham about what I'm about to do? And he had a conversation with Abraham. And so he sends, God sends these two angels to Sodom and Gomorrah. And these two angels come into town. Now, When you read the story, I'm not gonna read the whole story, but in Genesis 19, you can look at it. The two angels come into town and Lot is sitting in the town square, which means he's a leader in the city. Because when anybody sat at a gate or a town square, they were sat there for judgment purposes. The people would go to them if they had problems, um, disputes, financial issues, they would go to those people. So Lot is a leader in the town. These two angels show up and they let him know, hey, listen, just, just wanna give you a heads up. God's about to destroy this place. He's about to get rid of it because of the unrighteousness and the wickedness that has arose in this city. And he's heard it in heaven, and so he's just gonna wipe this place out, and you need to leave. 
Lot, you really need to go. You need to get your family together and we're gonna leave out of here. Tell as many people as you can. Tell your in-laws, your outlaws, whoever you need to tell, get them to come because it, I mean, we're, God's gonna destroy this place. And the angel says, you go home, we're gonna stay here. And Lot says, no, 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 you can't stay here. He goes, no, it's fine. We, we're gonna stay right here in the middle of the town and everything will be, no, 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 you can't stay here because Lot knew something. And so the two angels, he goes, no, you just come home with me, stay at my house and it's gonna be much better. All right, so the two angels go home and the people hear that the two angels are there. And so the men of the city come and knock on the door and go, hey, Lot, heard there's two, two people here. We wanna, we wanna have sex with them. We wanna rape them. We, we want them to come outside. We wanna know them. And they start pressing through the door. And Lot's going, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. And the angels smite him with blindness. And then Lot goes, hey, listen, in order to pacify him, you can have my two daughters. Which tells you that Lot has been caught up in all of this. And the power of the culture has influenced him so much that he's willing to sacrifice his family for the sake of the men in the city. A little lesson there. Now, what is this all about? This is all about, it's not a consenting, monogamous relationship. These men want to rape other men. God is dealing with this. He is letting them know that this is a problem. And so he's gonna destroy the wickedness. Ezekiel chapter 16, we see it. Now, the argument is that some theologians would say that the reason why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed was because of inhospitality. Because there's a couple verses in Ezekiel chapter 16. If you stop too soon in the prophetic word against Sodom and Samaria, because he deals with these two, he calls them daughters of Jerusalem. And so in Ezekiel, he's dealing with this issue. And some, some theologians say, no, no, this is, this is why homosexuality is okay. It's because Sodom was not a, an issue of homosexuality or rape or sex or immorality. This was an issue of inhospitality, not true. Matter of fact, in the Bible, New Testament, Jude 7, verse seven says, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Second verse, I call this the abomination. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. The word abomination is the Hebrew word toba, and it means to loathe something or detestable, uniquely dangerous, repulsive. The word is used 117 times in the Old Testament. So when God uses this, many times it is seen from God's eyes as very repulsive, and he talks a lot about it in reference to sexual sin. Now, the argument is, well, this is the law. Now, when God introduces this verse in, Le in Leviticus chapter 18, he makes a very important statement at the beginning. He says to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God, listen to this, okay? The only other time he made that statement 
was in reference to the 10 commandments. So when he said to Moses, give these 10 commandments to the Israelite, he said, I am the Lord your God. Why? Because the 10 commandments are a universal prohibition. And there are these, these abominations that were in the law are universal prohibitions because people would argue, well, there's things in the law we don't have to do now. And usually they use that argument for the purpose of trying to excuse something that they don't wanna do. The big one is tithing. Well, you know, tithing is of the law because they don't wanna tithe. They, they don't wanna give. In other words, they're just selfish, and so they're gonna try to find a loophole. Tithing is a universal prohibition, like other things. Now, of course there were other things that were changed, like shellfish. They talked about shellfish. Well, Peter had a vision in Acts where all these unclean animals came down, and God said, you can eat of it. Okay, when God dealt with other nations, he never mentioned shellfish to them. He talked about these wicked things that they were doing, unrighteous things. So the law argument is really a selfish argument. It's a misunderstanding of what's universal or what I call cross-covenantal. James says it this way. You can't pick and choose in these things, specializing in keeping one or two things in God's law and ignoring the others. You can't pick and choose. Here's the third one. And this is what I call the all sin argument. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them having, have committed an abomination, they shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So I've heard this said before. And when I first became a Christian and started studying, I used to say all sin is the same. Sin is sin. Not really true. Now we understand that God doesn't prioritize sin except for the sin of pride. Pride is the number one, which all sin flows from that independent spirit, by the way. So he does categorize sin. He puts some sins in different categories. Let me give you an example, Proverbs chapter six. It says, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are abominations. So he says, there's a category of six sins that I don't really, I hate them. And then there's one, however, that is a toba. It's a detestable, wicked thing. You know what the six are? Proud look, lies, shedding innocent blood, doing wickedness. You know what the seventh one is? Sowing discord among the brethren. One translation says that you need a troublemaker in the family. He's talking about people that sow discord in the church, in your family. He says, God says, they're an abomination to me. I don't know, if, if I were ever run into somebody in the church and they're sowing discord, I would run. Forest, run. As fast as you can away from them. Because in God's eyes, they are an abomination to him. They're trying to split and divide and disconnect people. So God does categorize sin. So how does he categorize immorality or homosexuality or sexual sin? Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. First of all, he says, flee sexual immorality. Run from it. Run from it. Get away from it. In other words, don't do it. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. 
So, in essence, any sex outside the marriage covenant is a sin. Let me say that one more time just to make it very clear for some of us who are living with our boyfriend or living with our girlfriend. Yeah, I said it. Any sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant is a sin. Now, you, there's forgiveness. You can be free. There, there is, you can stop living with them. They have other houses you can buy and move into. You probably have parents. Go live with them for a little while. I'll rent you a room. Aaron will rent you a room. I mean, whatever you need to do. Talk to him after the service. <laughs> so what is he saying here? When you commit sexual immorality, it's not just against you. You are bringing other people into your sin. So he says sin outside the body is one thing, but when you start bringing it inside the body, when you start connecting other people to this relationship, now you have brought a different categorization of sin to becoming one. That's what marriage is. And by the way, just because it's legal to have two women get married or two men to get married doesn't mean that it's kingdom. And this is important as we move into the latter days before Jesus comes back because there are gonna be a lot of lawful things that are legal that are not biblical. And you have to make sure that you determine the difference between the two. And you don't have to follow laws that are against the Bible because you love God first and then people. Are you following me? It's very important to understand that. Very important. Okay, so last three and then I'm done. The, this is the New Testament. So we got three in the Old Test, Testament, three in the New Testament. I gotta, I gotta finish up here. Romans chapter one, verse 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. This is kind of the one that a lot of people quote. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman. The key here is natural use. When he's talking about natural use, he's talking about the nature that God put in us. In other words, no one is ever born gay. There is no, even scientifically, there is no DNA that's a gay DNA or a homosexual DNA. It's usually built around environments, abuse, even same-sex attraction, because I know people deal with that on a regular basis. I counsel tons of people that deal with that. Just because you have thoughts doesn't mean you're going to hell. Just because you have thoughts doesn't mean you're a sinner. But there is healing and deliverance and freedom in Jesus Christ. And so, but when we step away from the nature that God has created in us, and it says, turned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, unnatural, receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased, or the bio, one translation says a reprobate mind, okay? This is, this is a key, this is kind of the center of this entire uh, concept or what, what Paul is talking about. And you gotta understand also what was going on in Rome when he wrote this. In Rome, when he wrote this, Nero was trying to marry his 12-year-old boy that he would have sex with. Because the, the typical downfall of any nation is the acceptance of homosexuality followed by the acceptance of pedophilia. 
That's, that's, the, that's the progression, and then the nation falls. All right? That's just history. That's just the repeat of history over and over again. And so when he says he gave them over to a debased mind, because of their unrighteousness and because of their wickedness and because of their unrighteous thinking and their wicked thinking, now they have taken what is good and called it evil and what is evil and called it good. That's what God is saying here, is that there's a deception that happens as a result of a lifestyle that is reprobate, disgusting to God, shameful to God, that causes our mind to call what is really evil something that is acceptable and good. Romans 1.18 says those, they, 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 they suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. In other words, the Bible is down here because of what I feel and because of what I'm going through. You don't understand my experience. And because of my experience, God understands that. And so I'm gonna change the truth in order to make my, my, my feelings more important. That's suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Are you following me? Two more and then I'm done. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, another New Testament. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. The argument here is that the word homosexual was added in 1946 to the Bible. Okay, well, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. This is a Greek word. I can't pronounce it, but it starts with an M and an A. It's really hard to pronounce. I tried. I practiced, but I still mess it up. I even have an app that tells me how to pronounce it. I tried. I really did. Phonetically, I wrote it down. I still can't do it. I can try. You want me to try? I don't want to. <laughs> Arsenocoitus. That's what it, that's, I think that's right. I could be wrong. No, that's a, that's a word that means two men being soft with each other in bed. One in a dominant position and one in a submissive position, or either one giving and one taking, which is the act of homosexuality. Here's the great news. I want you to hear this. Here's the great news. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Come on, give Jesus a big hand clap for that. Last one, six verses. Six is the number of man, and the sixth one is about man, a man. And it's a false teacher. And this is where we have to be afraid, and this is where we have to be really, really tuned into the Spirit of God, because Paul told Timothy there would be those desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, 
but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for king, kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. He went on to say, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. There are 31,000 scriptures in the Bible and not one affirms or condones homosexual activity. Yes, there is a scripture in the Satanic Bible in the chapter entitled Satanic Sex, which affirms homosexuality and transgender and pedophilia. There is no verse in the Bible that condones or accepts gay marriage. There is no verse in the Bible that says you can be Christian and gay. Practicing a homosexual lifestyle and having a same-sex attraction are very different. And again, I want to reiterate, you are loved here. You are cared for. We will help you. Most people that deal with that lifestyle or, or, or same-sex attraction, something happened in their early childhood days. Something awakened in them. I don't, I don't know all the science or the psychology around it, but in the 30-plus years that I've been a pastor and, and working with people and helping people and watching people get delivered and free and walking in the presence of God. Not that they have never had another thought about same sex again, but they have refreshed their, their life because of the abuse that they had. And it breaks my heart. I mean, honestly, it breaks my heart to hear the stories of people who family members took advantage of them in their youth and my, my wife, sexually abused by her grandfather, every time she brings it up, I just, oh, I get angry, it hurts. She used to tell me, my wife would tell me that, that she didn't wanna call her mom to come home sick from school because she knew that her mom would take her to her grandparents' house. So she would stay at school, throwing up in the bathroom, sick as a dog, because she didn't wanna go get sexually abused. Breaks my heart. But I do know a God, I do know a Savior that loves you and cares for you. His hope, his, his, his grace is available. So I want us to stand up and I want us to just pray as a church today that we would accept God's word and never create another gospel, another truth. So Father, help us as the church. Help us to lead and to guide. Father, even I know as a result of something like this that we're gonna be confronted, not just on social media. That's easy because we can just block and ignore. But maybe we have family members. We don't know what to do, how to handle it, how to have a conversation. But God, we know that you can do all things. That God, you can... You can create opportunities for us to have uh, the grace 
the patience, or maybe just sow a seed, or maybe just pray. Maybe we need to step away from it and just pray. And God, you'll send somebody else along. Because it's difficult when it's a brother or a sister or a cousin or a nephew or an in-law. God, that, that struggles with homosexuality or is wanting to change their, their gender. Father, we ask you to give us patience, give us love, help us to be a church that loves, but never wavers on the doctrine and the Bible. So Father, we lift our hands and surrender and we wanna be that church. We wanna be those people, God. We wanna be, be Christians, followers of God. God, would you heal us? Would you give us the words to say? Would you give us the boldness and the courage to stand up? And Father, I, I ask that and pray for any person in this room that's struggling with same-sex attraction or homosexuality, God, that you would break that sin right now, that you would remove it from their life, that you would help them in their heart, God, that they would never feel condemnation. But yes, we may feel some conviction, Father, because that's the presence and the power of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're living in sin. This is not just reserved for those that are dealing with homosexual or, or any type of immorality, sexual immorality, but you know you're not, your life is not pleasing to God and you wanna come into a relationship with a, with a God who sent his son Jesus to die for you. He wants to save you so you can have a reserved place in heaven. I wanna pray for you right now. We don't want you to leave this place without feeling and experiencing the grace of God. If you're here today and you say, I want a relationship with Jesus. I wanna make sure that I go to heaven. I want, I want this cycle of sin to be removed from my life. Let me tell you, we sang about it earlier. It's the blood of Jesus that will wash you clean of all your sins and all, all of our unrighteousness. Happened to me 30 something years ago, man. Changed me forever. And there are people all around you that have incredible testimonies. If you're here today, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you say, I wanna get right with God today. Would you just raise your hand? I wanna pray for you. I wanna know who I'm praying for. You wanna get right with God. Just raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now, wherever you are. Yeah, I see hands. I see, thank you, sir. Who else? I wanna get right with God. I wanna stop this sabotage cycle of sin. Thank you, sir. Who else? Who else? Who else? Maybe you're watching online. You, right in your living room, just raise your hand. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Love it, love it when men take the lead. Let's all pray this out, church family. Let's pray this together. Say this with me. Those of you that raised your hand, say it firm, say it loud so you can hear with your own ears. The greatest faith you'll ever hear comes out of your own mouth. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that his blood washes me of all my sins and all my mistakes. Today, I give my life to you. I will follow you. Give me boldness and courage to live the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap.